Hello, everyone, and welcome to HSH Presents. My name is Kayla McKee, and I'm also here with Mars Taylor, and we're going to be your hosts this episode. We are part of the media production team for HSH, bringing you this podcast, and we're here to get you up to date this week on all of the fascinating things happening here in the College of Human Sciences and Humanities, from poignant student topics to faculty endeavors and all kinds of collaborations in between. Here is where you want to be to find out just what HSH presents. Hello, everyone. Today, it is April 9th. It is a wonderful Friday here in the College of Human Sciences and Humanities. Um, Since this is our first feature show, I'm very excited because you are going to get to meet your host the show. Um, I know in the introduction, my name's Kaylee. Our other host is going to be Mars Taylor. Mars, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hello, I'm Mars. Hey. (laughs) They and she. Um, I'm 20. I'm in the Humanities Department for Sociology. Um, let's let's do some basic facts. I'm a Sagittarius. Um, you're going to learn listening to this that I am obsessed with professional wrestling and it's really bad. Um, and I also love to bake. So good. So bad it's good. So bad it's good. I agree. What about you, Kaylee? Um, so hi, my name is Kaylee. I am a graduating senior this May. Woo woo. Um, I, I am a major in uh, literature and I have a minor in communications. I have, oh, I have a wonderful, uh, almost one-year-old daughter who is the light of my life and my hobbies, um, where you have WWE wrestling. I have snail mail. I sounds so crazy about it but i absolutely love snail mail all the postage all the different sending things it's my my fun hobby and it is so 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 bad that it might just be good (laughs) so mars um i know that we're hosts on this podcast but let's go ahead and inform everyone a little bit of why we decided to get together and and work on this and how we ended up doing this this awesome show Um, what was it for the show that grabbed your attention and you were like, that? I want to work on that? I needed a job and I was asked to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but we don't take every job that comes up to us. So what was what was the one that was like, yeah, I, that, that's one out of the stack. I guess I could talk about me being in the diversity office. Um, yeah. For those of you that are on campus, you probably know me from walking around campus. I was the manager of the Office of Student Diversity and Inclusion, so I did a lot of on-campus work, and uh, I was asked to come onto this media team after I had left the office after about two years, and I decided why not. And now I'm working with Kaylee, who I had in the class last year, and when I learned that we were going to be working on this together, I was extremely excited. So that's honestly my reason. I love it. I love it. Um, what What is one of the things out of this podcast that you're hoping um, other people will be able to take away from it? Honestly, I'm just hoping that this helps bring the the whole, you know, College of Human Science and Humanities uh, together. Uh, as a community. Like, I hope that people start to talk about this. I hope people start to listen to this. Um, 
I feel like, especially in this era, this COVID uh, pandemic era, it's been very hard for people to connect with each other, but it's also been a very good thing for people to connect with each other, uh, you know, through Zoom or through social media. And I feel like this could be another platform for us to reach out and hopefully people will reach out as well. Right. And I think, I think one of the really um, touching and important things as well, uh, touching on how, you know, COVID has made everybody so distant and having to learn how to come together during these new times. um, I feel like it is a wonderful opportunity for voices and stories to be able to come together and be shared, um, especially during a time where you know, lives didn't stop. People were still living. People still had things going on, but there wasn't outlets for them to go and express themselves or to communicate what was going on or all the different, you know, struggles that they were having in their life or, you know, the wonderful opportunities that they were having at the same time, there was no real way, um, to share that with people. And so I I think that was one of the reasons that I was excited to come to the podcast because as much as I personally love talking to people, I love hearing about what were people doing? What are people um, up to? What is your passion? What do you want to know? What do you not want to know? What, you know, what is something that intrigued you into this um, area of the college? Because I mean, clearly all the other colleges have a very defined structure, you know, most, you know, you have the school of business, school of education, school of engineering, and then you have HSH and people are like HSH. And we're like, yeah, human sciences and humanities. And they're like, what? (laughs) But they're like, so what do you do in that? And you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm an education major or I'm an anthropology major or sociology or psychology. And people are like, so what do you do and I feel like so often the conversation gets lost in what do you do and it's not oh I love to learn about people I love to learn about the work we have collaborated we have made and I think that's one of the beautiful things about HSH and the opportunity with this podcast is we're going to get to really explore what have you made who are you how did you get here Um, what is it that you know spoke to you about your passion and helped form, you know, your love of, of your, you know, your path, what did you choose? And so that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to explore with you and, and some of our guests that get to come on our show. I feel like we have such a broad department. Yes. You know, the concept of humanity itself, there's so much in that. And I hope that this podcast is able to at least bring some of these aspects together because I feel like there's so much in this department, like there's so much going on all the time. Um, I feel like COVID has helped me um, learn how to talk to people again because I, I forgot, honestly, in the beginning of the pandemic, I was in my house all the time. And now I feel like, this podcast can be a chance for me to express how I feel and hopefully you the same. And I feel like, I hope like every, I hope that everybody else can also get the chance to express how they feel as well, especially with this stuff going on. Hey, Kaylee. 
Hey, Mars. What do you want to know? What do I want to know? What do you want to know? Hmm. I mean, there's a lot I want to know. What about you? Well, personally, I think that our viewers should tell us what they want to know. So I'm going to ask you guys and I'm going to post it on our media pages. I'm going to spam it until you guys answer us back. (laughs) What do you want to know? Simple as that. I feel like because you guys are the viewers, you guys should tell us what you want to see on this podcast, whether it's a comment or consideration or criticism, whatever it is, tell me, what do you want to know? Simple as I think that. That's, I think that's amazing. Um, I think that's wonderful because there's one of the things we don't get to talk about a lot in our uh, day-to-day academic lives is all of the cool research that's going on in our college and all of like the really neat things that happen with capstone and all of the neat things that happen um like even on the faculty side because i know as a student um i'm invested in what my professors do i want to know what they do i want to know what's going on because there's so much about like the world you just don't always have access or privy to so it'd be really cool to have um if you're working on some kind of fun project in your classes, or if you are an educator at our college and have a wonderful um, piece or series or um, book that you're working on or a publication that you're working on and you'd like to share it, definitely for sure reach out to us. Our Instagram handle, it's UHCL underscore HSH. (laughs) Um, It'd be great to reach out to us. Like you said, the HSH email Um, All of these links, of course, can be found in the description in our bio or can also be found on our Instagram page. Correct. Also for our viewers, if you would just want to hear us talk about current events, because I understand right now it is like a whirlwind of us living in history. Because I know when I'm older, I'm never going to forget these, these, however long it's going to last probably another year, honestly. I'm never going to forget these years of our lives. So just tell us, what do you want to know? Exactly right, Mars. And I know one of the things that I really want to know about is our next Women and Gender Studies uh, speaker presentation coming up this Monday, actually, on April 12th. Um, And we were fortunate enough that we have a little excerpt uh, from... Dr. Elizabeth Klett to be able to present it for us. So without further ado, here's Dr. Elizabeth Klett. Hi, I'm Dr. Elizabeth Klett, Professor of Literature in the College of Human Sciences and Humanities at UHCL. I will be doing a presentation in the Women's and Gender Studies Faculty Lecture Series next Monday, April 12th, from 2 to 3 p.m. The talk is titled, Gender, Power, and Desire in Dance Adaptations of a Midsummer Night's Dream, and is drawn from my recent book, Choreographing Shakespeare, Dance Adaptations of the Plays and Poems, which was published by Rutledge in October 2019. This book looks at 40 dance works in genres such as ballet, modern dance, and hip-hop, produced between 1940 and 2016, by choreographers in Britain, America, and Europe, all of which use Shakespeare's plays and sonnets as their source material. The book also includes six interviews with choreographers about their work, 
including one with our own Houston Ballet's artistic director Stanton Welch, about his 2015 world premiere of Romeo and Juliet. The book draws on research that I did at the New York Public Library's Jerome Robbins Dance Collection, and in the UK, at the Royal Ballet in London, the Birmingham Royal Ballet, and the National Resource Center for Dance at the University of Surrey. In my WGST talk next week, I will be looking at three ballet versions of one of Shakespeare's most popular comedies, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Those three ballets are a 1964 piece created for the Royal Ballet by Frederick Ashton, a 1977 ballet by John Neumeyer for the Hamburg Ballet, and a 2005 work by Jean-Christophe Maillot for Les Ballets de Monte Carlo. In particular, I will be talking about what happens when choreographers portray the fairy queen Titania on stage. While in Shakespeare's play, she is a strong woman who is tricked and humiliated by her dominating husband, King Oberon, in these dance adaptations, the choreographers use movement and the strength of female dancers to liberate Titania from the confines of the text. The talk will include a lot of images and a short video clip to help convey what this movement looks like. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you there next week. So I know one of the things that had came up a little recently, um, this past December, was there was a really neat capstone art exhibit um, being held at our college um, from Jennifer Leonard. And it was one of the things that I thought would be kind of cool to do as our first, what do you want to know segment? Um, because I kind of, I didn't get a chance to go experience it or get to take a look at it um, because I know lots of things were going on with COVID and still getting things under wraps, but I thought it would be really neat if we were able to touch on that a little bit and uh, give our listeners a little taste of what was so hard worked on and the research and heart that went into Jennifer's exhibit. Without further ado, we now present to you Jennifer's interview over her exhibit, Education, Idealized, Never Realized. Hi, my name is Jennifer Leonard, and I'm uh, currently a grad student at UHCL, earning my MA uh, in Humanities with a Studio Arts concentration. And I just recently finished my uh, capstone, which is an art exhibition of my body of work that I did during my program. And um, we're just here today to, to talk a little bit about process and some of the behind the scenes things that go on in creating an exhibition. Uh, and hi, I'm Clay Leonard. Uh, I'm an assistant professor of ceramics here at the University of Houston Clear Lake. Uh, I worked with Jennifer a little bit on this exhibition, so it's kind of nice to be able to sit down and talk to her a little bit about the exhibition and how it went uh, and a couple of the challenges and changes we had to make for it. So uh, it's nice to see you, Jennifer, and look forward to talking. Good to see you too, Clay. And I think, as always, you're very modest. You had more than a little bit to do with it. You were my coach through the whole thing um and you also oversaw my exhibition so i'm internally grateful to you for that so oh, thank well, you thanks. so much that's very nice <laughs> uh 
Uh, and another thing that I'm grateful for was the virtual visiting artist that you offered for your class um, with Wes Brown, because uh, that was really, um, really just a joy for me to experience and to get to hear an artist in the field who's um, actively working and some of the advice that he had, because it really resonated with me. That's great to hear. Yeah. So, um, I think that that was last Friday. Uh, I had Wesley T. Brown, who's a ceramic artist and sculptor, do a virtual visiting artist and kind of be the guinea pig for this. Now with all this COVID stuff, normally I would have them come into the studio, but without that, we were able to connect virtually. Um, and so he showed a little bit about his work. That's great to hear that it went well. Um, Wes is a really interesting guy, and I think it's really important for you all as you keep we keep thinking about careers and developing it to get as much exposure to other artists and how they think and hear their journey so it's like as you said you and i've worked closely together so you know how i think about things you know how i talk about things and maybe my biases and where i'm coming from so i think it's really helpful for you to hear it from somebody in a totally different way uh, even if we're saying some things that are similar which i, I think we do um he's approaching it in a totally different way. So that's really great. I, I was really happy with that and glad that so many people turned out and had a chance to talk to Wes and, and hear about his story. Yes, absolutely. And you said a couple of things that uh, struck me just now, like having visiting artists in studio, because um, that actually in and of itself was what was the springboard for my whole body of work, because those um, empty vessel heads that I call them, that uh, Clara Hogue had done in a in-class demonstration as a visiting artist. That was incredibly inspirational to me just sitting on a shelf. So those visiting artists are um, incredibly valuable. That's Yeah, I think so too. I remember being an undergrad and seeing, because I think it's your first connection to like the broader ceramics community and the broader art community and it gives people that are still new to this or getting excited about this connection to like professional artists. Uh, and I think it, for me, it kind of took away some of the, that separation or, or like where you feel like they're so much different than you are and it's kind of unattainable. It kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit and you could see some of their footsteps and their approach to things and see how you might be able to meet some of those things or saw that their trajectory was similar to yours. And so I think that commonality is really great. So I hope we can keep bringing people in and, and making those kind of connections. And the virtual one with Wes, I think, went really well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that again soon. I agree. It went really well. And uh, one of the things that he kept stressing, I took a lot of notes, um, several pages of notes listening to that him. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but um, he just kept saying um, community. And how important that was in his process and in all artists' process. Because I know it was invaluable to me, um, especially critiques. And uh, Wes talked about critiques and um, how that an artist friend of his was able to tell him, hey, your mugs, I mean, they're great as a statement piece. But if you want people to be able to use them, you're going to need to lighten them up because they're way too heavy, things like that. And so for me... When we had critique and we were bouncing ideas off each other or trying to resolve something, it was incredibly helpful. Um, I'm trying to think of one piece um, off the top of my head in ceramics that I had help with that. And it would be um, collateral damage, the chessboard piece that I made. 
um, just visiting with other artists, sitting and talking uh, about ideas and how that was formulating and hearing input from other artists and ways to communicate visually. Especially you had a lot of help. Um, you offered me a lot of help in that department of communicating visually and being able to think of getting your message across without the benefit of words. And so all of those things uh, really shaped uh, many of my pieces. That's really good to hear because I think that's the goal of critique. And I think ceramics, especially ceramics, I mean the whole arts, but ceramics is all about community and interaction and there's a lot of that. And I think that's one of the reasons I got interested in that. And I think that's one of the reasons I like to teach in a university setting is because it is communal and you're sharing ideas together. I like to have my studio up here so it's like there is that exchange and interchange with students and myself because it's exciting for me just hopefully as exciting as it is for you all. Um, but I think that is really helpful. And it's one of the things that's been a little bit challenging with the whole situation going on because it's impacted the community a little bit and how much we interact. But um, yeah. that's always great to hear. And I think you in particular, because you had such strong ideas with the work, um, it gives you such a, a, a strong place for everybody to have an opinion about it, right? So if somebody's not that invested in the work or they don't really know what they're doing yet, there's you can kind of, you're giving them more general kind of ideas. Where it gets more exciting is in the advanced classes and the graduate classes when those ideas start getting honed like you have and then it's like there's so many ways to say what you want to say and it's how you can get it across in the most like clear and simple but also rec uh, like reflect your point of view uh, and I think if people check out that exhibition of yours that's online I think they'll see a lot of the, the conversation you're having and how you kind of refine some of those things and it's, it, I think it'd be important for them to hear your journey of that, but be able to see how you ended up articulating those things, which I think is pretty effective. Yeah, like um, when the second set of Empty Vessel Head, uh, which the, was the female set uh, in the blue celadon, uh, that piece I got a lot of feedback on critique asking, which way should I do the question marks in the eyes? Should they face the audience or should they be uh, reversed? And I got a lot of good feedback on that, and it helped me to resolve that and to make that final decision. And I went with both <laughs> because the child is receiving questions and asking questions. So, But it was through critique that I was able to make that final decision. So that was incredibly helpful. It's funny that you're talking about it with questions with the head because I think that's the important part because the whole idea of how you can represent a body of work or have that clarity of idea is being able to answer like your own questions because there's like thousands of answers for the question but it's like you have to figure out what makes sense for you and so I think that like yours yeah stimulate a lot of good conversation but you hear all of these different approaches of like well I would do it this way or if you did it this way you could do this or what if you thought about that and it's like you can't do all of those so now you have to think sit and think well those are pretty interesting which ones make the most sense for my work and for the piece uh, and I think coming off that West, he talked a lot about that too, of how grad school, you just get bombarded with questions. Um, and it's, it's very helpful, but you really have to be introspective and start figuring out how do I answer these questions and, and really be honest with yourself. So it is funny that your, your piece with the question marks kind of is a perfect tie-in with this idea of questioning. 
That is because it, well, I loved his analogy of the rose bush. You come into critique and you have this beautiful rose bush and you put it there and you tell everyone, oh, enjoy my rose bush. And they rip it to shreds with their questions. And you're left with some thorns and one petal. And he says, and that's what reduces it to what it's about for you. Um, what questions you could answer. And he said that for the questions I couldn't answer, I said, well, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. And it helped him find himself in essence is at least the message I received from that. Yeah, I thought that was a really thoughtful analogy too. But I think the, why it's so successful is you're, I think, again, you're a good example of this and we're kind of talking about your work today, but it's like um, you do have to be honest and receptive to those questions. And I, I think it's really hard and I'm sure you've seen it, and I see it all the time with students that, if we go with that rosebus analogy, come in, but they want to leave with it intact. Yeah. And it's like, you can, but it's like you're not being honest and it's not going to grow, right? It's like you, you're, yes. you're, you won't develop as an artist, you won't develop as a person. That process, it, it, it's stagnant, right? So it's like yes. you have to be honest. And if you don't know, it's like I think it's really important to say, I don't know. It's like, great. It's like, that's fine. Now you have a starting place or now we have a place that we have to figure out, right? But if you think you have all the answers, then it's like, I'm going to stop asking you questions. Your classmates are going to stop asking you questions. And you're left with like no idea what you're doing and no way of figuring it out. Yeah. And actually he said, don't come in with a thing. And that's, and for me, I literally still don't have a thing. That might be a problem leaving your, with your MA without a thing, but... <laughs> Because mine was more centralized around an idea than a, a thing. So like if, if your thing is printmaking or if your thing is painting, right? So I used all of the medium to create this body of work. And I'm a little worried about not having a quote unquote thing. <laughs> I, think, I think a thing is overrated, right? So okay. I think people like to say this is what I do because it makes it seem like you have it figured out but i think like a real artist doesn't have things figured out ever and it's like they're they're constantly trying to challenge themselves and put themselves in uncomfortable situations where they don't know the answers because then they have to figure it out right and as soon as you kind of have the answers then it it might not be challenging to you or you're going to lose interest so it's like you don't have a thing you know you're saying that but if you think about how you came up with an exhibition it's like the important part about being an artist, I think, is about being adaptable and figuring out how do I go from the idea stage to the execution to the presentation. And if you can do that, which you did, and you did it successfully, it's like you can do that with anything. It's like you just don't have, it's like you're not identified by anything and you shouldn't be, right? It's like you know how to take an idea and start executing it. You're talking about how to question yourself and how important those questions are so you know how to ask those questions and how to get that information out of people. So it's like, I think you got exactly what you should have out of there. Like that's the foundation, regardless of okay. like some masterful like technique that's now the Jennifer technique, right? It's like, you know how to think, you know how to think critically, you know how to ask questions. And it's like, if you know how to do that, you can adapt to anything. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah, you told uh, talked about uh, it getting mundane or losing that edge. Um, and that's kind of what Wes talked about is he didn't want to just sit at the wheel and throw all day because for him, he thought he would lose interest. So for him, part of that 
is the challenge and the process and what you do with those challenges. And I definitely related to that because like over the summer when I had my pieces in the studio and we had some heat and I had one of my wax pieces for foundry melt, it fell over, it broke. And I, instead of crying about it, I just said, oh, well, I guess that's one I'll just have to take out of the body of work. But in one second, Jason said, well, you could make it out of wood and then attach the hands. And this was the uh, separation of church and state piece. And instantly it was solved. And I said, oh my God, that's amazing. That's a great idea. And from that, I was able to save that piece and include it in the body of work because it's a pivotal piece. So I was really happy to have just that little bit of input where, you know, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> a way to fix it. Adaptability thing. And that's that questioning. And it's like... I professional artists still do it and it's like I have to make sure that I'm thinking about it too but you get so close to ideas sometimes that it's like it's very helpful to have other people help you pull back from it and see other options or like how you could think about it differently and now the challenging part is like when you leave that community is like trying to find a community and trying to find ways to stimulate those conversations now without it being you know part of that a university or a set community that gets a little tricky right that's a that's where my current worry is um trying to find a new community because that's definitely what i'm gonna miss the most i think it was helpful for me like i've always been in kind of a university setting but it's like important to me you have those connections with students and peers and faculty to continue to kind of facilitate those and as you keep doing exhibitions and those things you're going to just make connections and community with other people in other ways uh, but you just have to find some way and it might just be people that you value that maybe aren't artists that just think about things really well um, like my wife isn't an artist but she is like give offers the most honest and brutal critiques of my work so it's like I've run a lot of things by her because her I really value her perspective on things and she thinks about it differently so it's like if there's no one to ask or talk, you know, it's like I want to ask her because I feel like she'll be honest with me and help me think it through. So it's like anybody that, you know, you can kind of find to do that, I think is helpful. Well, that's good. I do that with my sister on a regular basis. She is an artist, but um, and she lives in Michigan, so it's hard. We don't get to do it face to face, but I'll call her or we'll have video calls or we'll do Zoom. And <laughs> and I did it with a few of my pieces for this exhibition. Um duty bound in particular I was trying to find a way I wanted to articulate the star covering the heart and uh, through that process of talking it out she helped me resolve it and sometimes it's even nice just to speak to someone and and tease out your own thoughts that's even helpful yeah for sure I always think it's really interesting because in grad school I remember being in grad school and it's just like I'm tired of people asking me so many questions and I'm tired <laughs> of being just analyzed constantly and I just want to work and I think that was really helpful and then you get out of it and you you're like great I get to work and then it's like why is no one asking me questions or it's like <laughs> why is it so quiet in here it'd be really helpful if somebody would like talk to me about this so it's it's always like you know the grass is a little greener, maybe. Always. <laughs> yeah. I thought of, uh, the interesting thing about your exhibition, so you plan to have this in person, and so we've been talking about how to have a physical exhibition for a very long time. Yes. And then with the current pandemic situation, we had to go, or you decided to go virtual uh, because a lot of the avenues and venues you kind of planned 
um, had to be closed off or, or weren't applicable. So that kind of adaptability kind of worked for that. Um, how was that for you kind of switching gears and did you think you still got across what you wanted to get across even though it wasn't in person? Okay, so um, first part of that question, how was it? I, at first, I was panic-stricken, <laughs> uh, very anxiety-inducing. Uh, but once I got past that denial phase, I guess I was kind of going through the stages of grief. <laughs> once I started to accept it and uh, listen to your advice that you kept telling me um, what to do, and I guess I kept trying to, I kept trying to make it physical in some kind of way. Um, but once I finally let go of that and, and allowed it to be virtual and embraced it and found Roman and was able to get those recordings of the pieces made and uh, then I really think it came together and there were some that timed out so beautifully um, because Roman and I did the video and the audio completely separate in separate rooms and when he put it all together it was like we did it together. Uh, one piece in particular, again, is the um, uh, collateral damage piece. And uh, just the way that my words and his camera timing married, it was, I, I clapped when I saw it, uh, when I actually had it all put together. It was just a triumphant moment. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like it was very successful, uh, but it wasn't something I had anticipated. And I'm looking forward to it being in a physical space. In fact, I have it booked uh, for the fall of 2021 in um, Brazosport, the art gallery there. Fantastic. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, congrats. I think that's always a great thing. Once you have like an exhibition that it can kind of travel or take on some new life in different places. Um, somebody once said to me something about my work because I was, you know, it, you, the work's physical. You want people to interact with it. You want them to see it. You want to be able to talk to people about it. Um, but somebody brought it to my attention that more people will experience your work online or virtually than they probably ever will in person. Uh, True. And that really tripped me out. But it's like thinking about a lot of my work. It's like through the website and through exhibitions. Most people will see it on people's websites and those things. And it's like that's probably very, very accurate. Um, and an interesting way to think about the work that we make that it's like most people are going to see it in a virtual format rather than seeing it in person. Hopefully that entices them to try to go find it and see it in person. Uh, yes. But it's a, it's a strange way of thinking about what we do, or at least kind of what you and I are doing that is based on wanting people to see it in person or experience it in that yes. way. Yes. Yes. Especially those two-sided pieces that really require you to walk around uh, but and it was kind of interesting that it resolved some of those problems that I was having with using the apps at UHCL because we talked about not being able to put those pieces in the middle because there wasn't sufficient room um, to get around the pieces safely. Um, so being able to do it with that video uh, really solved that problem. So it was kind of neat. And like you said, people all over can see it. So my sister lives in Michigan. She doesn't have to worry about trying to fly here to see it. My aunt lives in California. I have a cousin who lives in Colorado. So everybody's able to access it and without flying. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty great. And I think it did teach you how to be like extremely adaptable with your work because you had radical changes like when we're talking about physical space with sculpture, this is a, a very radical departure. Um, 
But I also think it's just, I mean, you're, it's always a challenge and things are always going to work out not exactly how you want. If you work with a gallery, they might end up not having the pedestals you need or maybe not have the space or they might want to change how something looks. So you're going to have to kind of like figure some of those things out. So I think for you to be fully adaptable and figure out how to make this work in a totally different format, hopefully, again, like we talked about with that kind of foundational skills that allow you to think through, it's like any kind of challenge you're going to meet at a gallery, other places, you've got it. You can figure it out. you got to be flexible. <laughs> okay. I'm prepared to be flexible. So we'll see what happens with that physical exhibition and how much <laughs> I need to adapt. <laughs> I, I'm really looking forward to it because I think a lot of your work is meant to be seen and I, even though it worked really well in the virtual format, once people are able to kind of see that, walk around the piece, get close to it, spend more time with it, um, I really think some of the conversations that you were having and the questions you were having about education and um, about your experience will hopefully open some more doors. But I think it's, I think it'll be even more potent when people can see it in person. Thank you. I agree, and I I hope it's well received. Well, so far, so good. Okay, awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough, and I'm really going to miss you. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. It's been really great to see how quickly, and you've moved through things extremely fast from not having familiarity with ceramics or with, you know, th that much of the art context to be able to put up a thesis exhibition in a few years is pretty remarkable. Um but it was really exciting to work with you because you have a lot of ideas um, which make it challenging at times, but it's been, I like how passionate you are about the work. So as long as you keep doing that, it's like, I think it was really good for your peers and for, you know, it's always a pleasure for faculty to be able to work with people that are excited and have ideas. So I'm looking forward to see what's coming next. Yay, well, thank you. Well, you know, I was doing the two sides to every story and I had those religious pieces that I wanted to put in so I'm going to do that next. That's what's coming next. So, Well, I want to thank you, Jennifer, for spending the time to be able to talk about the exhibition. It was really great to see that, and I'm glad we could kind of talk through it a little bit and have some time to kind of digest a little bit of the exhibition afterwards. I think that's exciting. All the hard work's done. You get to see it. Hopefully people get to experience it. It's kind of fun now. We get to talk about the relief of it. So thanks. It was really nice to talk to you about it. Oh, thank you so much. This puts a nice bow on the whole experience. It's really great. I'm really grateful to Dr. Seahorn for inviting me to do this. And um, again, just the whole UHCL community has been just amazing. And I just love it. <laughs> Hi, this is Sarah Costello. I'm Associate Professor in Art History at UHCL. I will be giving a talk in the series, The College of HSH Presents, on Monday, April 12th at 6 p.m. My talk is titled, Telling Better Stories, Archaeology, Object Biography, and the Public. The idea for my lecture grew out of the book I recently co-edited, titled, Object Biographies, Collaborative Approaches in Ancient Mediterranean Art. Published by the Manil Collection and distributed by Yale University Press, the book takes a deep dive into the antiquities collection of one of our beloved Houston museums, the Manil Collection, exploring the history of these ancient objects. In my lecture, I'll explain the idea 
of object biography, which is the frame we used in the book to explore these ancient works. An object biography looks at the long life of an object, starting with the time it was made and including how it was used, who used it, how it went out of use long ago, as well as the modern life of the object, when and where it was found, how it changed hands, and how it entered the museum's collection. We don't always know every part of that story. In fact, we often know very little of it. And unfortunately, when you look at ancient objects in museums, you don't always learn much because so much of the story is missing. You might see a label with a question mark or a vague description pointing to some moment in the past. The value of object biography is that it reminds us that each moment in the life of an object is potentially interesting, including its modern collection history. Wouldn't you love to know why Mrs. de Manil purchased a certain figurine or how that figurine came to be sold by a dealer in the first place? Who dug it up? Where did they find it? We can tell better stories in a museum and make these objects really come back to life by acknowledging their modern lives as well as their ancient ones. I will also discuss the important ethical imperatives of doing this kind of work to combat the looting of archeological sites and to challenge the sensationalism of TV shows about the ancient world. We can tell better stories. I hope you'll join me for my talk on Monday, April 12th. I love it. And to keep in mind, if you wanna hear more things like the Leonard and Leonard interview, or if you wanna hear different things, don't forget, let us know, what do you wanna know? So I think that's going to be just about all we have time for this week. Um, we love and appreciate you guys coming and listening to us today. Um, if you like what we're doing and you're excited to hear more, definitely follow us every Friday. We will have our feature shows. We have a couple of fun different topics coming up within the next few weeks that we're excited to bring up. Uh, one of which is beginning our kitchen table talks. Uh, Mars and I are particularly incredibly excited to delve into this and discuss that with you guys next week. So definitely make sure you guys come back. Um, and for our new listeners, we also have our Monday HSH update segments, where each week we give you guys kind of a rundown of all of the fun events and happenings going on in HSH that you guys are able to participate in, or be able to uh, have moments where you guys can listen and reflect on things that are happening with different professor speaker series or um, different kinds of exciting on-campus ventures that are going on. We're very excited for it. To keep up to date with all of the happenings in HSH, make sure you're following us on our Instagram. It's at UHCL underscore HSH and follow us wherever you listen to our podcast. I would also like to keep in mind on the MailChimp, which I've started working on, on the very bottom, there's a link to every single social media page we have, um, if that's easier for you. So for our credits this week, we would like to thank um, Leonard and Leonard for their interview. We would like to thank Taryn Gonzalez for making our logo. And we'd also like to thank Dr. Seahorn and Dean Gladden for giving us the opportunity to work on this wonderful podcast. Y'all have a good day.
And don't forget to listen to us on our next episode of HSH Presents. <laughs>